Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading the entire chapter. So turn with me in your Bibles to, to John 20. In these verses, we have John's eyewitness account of the events immediately following Jesus' resurrection. First in the morning at the empty tomb, then later that evening in a nearby room, and finally a week later in the same room. In John's account, we will see Jesus' disciples move from unbelief to belief to faith. And we'll be invited to move with them along the same path. As John himself says in verse 30 and 31, these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. But as we come to listen to God's word, let's pray for God's help that we, we would understand what he says to us. Our prayer for illumination this morning was written by King David nearly 3,000 years ago and is recorded in Psalm 25. Let us pray. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Amen. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Kids, y'all can come on up. Join me over here on this side. Find a spot, make room. I think there's going to be a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Uh, some of you can even go up top. Big kids, sit on the stool. Yeah, just make room. Yeah, you can fill up those chair, uh, those stairs over there. Yeah, that's fine, Joe. You can sit up there. All right. So I've got a couple of questions for y'all. Do you know what it means when you smell chocolate in your house? Do you know what it means, Calvin? Okay, some parent smuggling chocolate around. Yep, that's possible. <laughs> Bryn? It means that I might be smuggling chocolate. <laughs> All right, everybody be on the lookout for Bryn. Bella? Um, um, it might mean that there's chocolate in the house, but, but you're like, oh, there's chocolate in the house. Wait, there's not chocolate in the house. Oh, yeah, you got to eat dinner before you eat that chocolate. Yeah, so it could mean that it, it might actually mean that you live near where we live. We get to smell the Mars chocolate factory, like about three days a week. We can just smell chocolate all over the place. Or maybe it means that somebody in that house is making brownies. Yeah, so it, it might mean something. Well, do you know what it means when you, when you see dark clouds and you hear thunder? Yeah. Yeah, it means there's a storm about to hit. 
That's right. That's right. It means rain's coming. Or do you know what it mean? Do you know what it meant that you were born? Do you know what that meant? Yeah, yeah, I, I see where you were going, but the, yeah, this isn't a Sunday school answer. Josiah, do you know what it meant that you were, do you know what it meant that you were born? Uh, well, kind of. I, I can tell you it meant that your parents were never going to get to sleep in again. <laughs> we, we humans, it's okay, Bella, you can put, we humans are always trying to figure out what stuff means. Like, you guys, you're going to have to worry about this one. What does it mean when girls whisper and giggle? Like, what does that mean? I, I don't know. Or, or what does it mean? Or what does it mean when you see the first lightning bug of the year? Ah, it means summer's coming, right? Or, or what does it mean when mom and dad are packing all the suitcases and loading up the car with snacks? Yeah, you're going on a trip. That's right. Don't, you you want to know what all of these things mean. Well, think about this. Think about this. We know the sad reality that people die, right? Because the, the Bible tells us the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin, is death. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible talks about death being in charge in this world. But, but then Jesus came, and he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, and, and they laid his dead body in a tomb. But then, on the third day, his heart began to beat again. Jesus took a big breath into his lungs, and he walked out of the tomb alive again. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus has risen from the dead? And, and not just temporarily, like some people in the Bible. Uh, what does it mean that Jesus died and then he was buried and, and then he rose again on the third day, never to die again? What does it mean that Jesus is alive today? Well, let me tell you. You, you heard in, in the scripture reading, you heard one person answer that question. When Thomas saw that Jesus was alive again. He said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. He, not only did he believe that Jesus was actually alive, but he also understood what it meant. It, Jesus rising from the dead means that he is the Lord. He's the King. It, it meant that he's God's Son in human flesh, like yours and mine, forever. It, it meant that God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. God accepted as fully paid so that you don't have to pay anything. It, it meant that Jesus can mend all that is broken in this world, and he can mend you and me and everything because he has conquered death itself. And so Jesus is rising again means that he's going to make all the sad things in this world come untrue. Because he lives, everything's going to be okay. And so today and every day, don't just believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. Believe it and put your trust in him. Because you know what his rising again actually means. 
Jesus' rising from the dead means that he's the one, the only one, who's able to rescue you, and he gives you a life like his, a life that's free from the power of sin and ultimately free from death itself. Because even if we do pass through death like he did, he promises that he'll raise us up like him. And because we can trust him to keep his promises, because he's alive forevermore, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. All right, guys, thanks. You can go back to your seat. If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're looking at the entire chapter, which means, of course, that we are doing something of an overview of the chapter. We won't be able to get into all of the details, but, but I want you to see John's purpose in writing Sam highlighted it even before he, he read the text, but, but John tells us right there at the end that he writes these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you may have life. Of course, these words express not only John's purpose in, in writing this particular gospel, but, but in reality, the, these words express our purpose in preaching this gospel. This is why we exist as a church. We, we exist that you might believe. We are ministers of the apostolic gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. We, we are ministers of that gospel for this very purpose, that those who hear might believe and by believing may have life. If you are here this morning... It is almost certain that you knew before you got here that we'd be talking a lot about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's what we do on Easter. And, and I doubt there's, there's anyone here who is, who is surprised, who, who thinks that this is somehow a, 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 a turn in the story that they weren't expecting. We know that when we gather on Easter Sunday, we, we gather to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. However, that said, it is possible, maybe even likely, that there are some here this morning who don't believe it. You knew the plot before you got here. You knew where we were going. You, you knew what was going to be our, our focus, but you, you never thought it was true. At least not in any empirical, hi historical sense. The story may contain some spiritual truth, but it isn't factual as far as you are concerned. From, from your perspective, the story of Jesus' resurrection is no more true than the story of the phoenix rising from the ashes. And if that describes you, if you are here because it's what you do on Easter, if you are here because it's just your, your tradition, then I'm certainly glad that you are here. And, and whatever your reasons for coming... I want you to know that it is my hope and prayer, just as it was John's hope and prayer in writing the gospel, that you will not only come to believe the story, to believe that it is true, but that you will come to believe in the one the story is about, that you might have life in his name. Now, I know that might strike you as unlikely, impossible even. 
You may think that no rational, reasonable, intelligent person could ever believe the story of the resurrection to be anything more than a myth or a fable. After all, we know that, that people who die don't rise again. I understand. I, I understand how hard it is to believe. And in fact, the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that the first witnesses shared your skepticism. If it's hard for you to believe that, that this is true, if it's hard for you to believe that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, that he bodily came out of the tomb, if that is hard for you to believe, you're in good company. Because it was hard for his disciples to believe. It's, it's been hard for all people to believe. We, we sometimes think that it was somehow easier for the first witnesses to believe because, after all, they were these simple-minded, pre-scientific people. But that simply isn't true. On the contrary, the first witnesses were just like you and me. They, they were people who, who knew that dead people stay dead. They were people who found the idea of, of resurrection incredible. That is, literally, beyond credibility. Unbelievable. We, we see this first in, in Mary. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. We're told that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. So here is Mary. She, she's coming to the tomb on the first day of the week because she rested on the Sabbath. She, she couldn't come and, and do her duty on the Sabbath. She couldn't uh, anoint his by the way she, she wanted to. She, she's coming on the, the first day of the week. And when she gets there... She finds that the stone has been rolled away. The entrance to the tomb is open. And so what's her first thought? When, when she sees the stone rolled away, when she sees the, the tomb open, what does she think? Well, her first thought is not, hallelujah, he is risen. But rather, she assumes that someone has stolen the body. And no doubt she fears that they, what they intend to do with it. She can imagine all the ways that, that Jesus' enemies might mistreat and, and desecrate his body in order to flout their apparent victory. And so when she sees the stone rolled away, she does not rejoice. But on the contrary, her heart is broken. And so she runs to, to tell Peter and the other disciples, the, the one Jesus loved, almost certainly a reference to John, the author of the, the gospel. She, she runs and she, she tells them, someone has taken the body of the Lord. And so again, you can see yourself in Mary. When Mary arrives at the tomb and finds the stole rolled away, she does not immediately assume that Jesus is risen, just the opposite. She assumes that he is still dead, and now his body is in the hands of their enemies. Such is her unbelief. And of course, as we keep reading, we, we see the unbelief of, of Peter and John next. Look again at verses 3 through 8. When Peter and John hear Mary's report, what do they do? They, they immediately set out to the tomb running. 
They, they want to see this for themselves. And we're, we're told that John outran Peter and, and got there first. But when John arrives at the tomb, he, he doesn't go in. He's, he's a little more timid. He's a little more cautious. And so he, he stops outside the tomb and he just sort of peeks in around the corner. But Peter being Peter, when he gets there finally, probably huffing and, and puffing, he just goes right in. He's Peter, after all. This is what Peter does. He, he goes right into the tomb to, to see what is there. And what is it that he sees? We're told that he sees the, the linen cloth over here and the, the face cloth off to the side. These are the grave clothes, the, the clothes in which Jesus' body had been wrapped. As we heard even this morning in the sunrise service, with 75 pounds of spices. This is not exactly what you would expect to see if, if Jesus' body had been Stolen. You wouldn't expect to see the, the grave clothes neatly folded and the, and the face cloth lying off to the side. And this is why verse 8 has, has traditionally been understood to mean that when John saw the empty tomb, when he, when he finally had the courage to step in and saw what was there, he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. Even before seeing Jesus himself, he believed, we're told. But I wonder if that's really what John means when he says that he believed. I wonder if, rather, he, he means that he believed Mary's report. When they saw the empty tomb, he, together with Peter, believed what? They believed that the body had been stolen, just as Mary said. It's not the traditional reading, but it seems to be supported by verses 9 and 10. Look again. Verse 9 begins with 4. He's, he's given an explanation for John's belief. And what does he say? He says, for they did not yet understand. They did not understand that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. The reason he believed, believed what? Believed that the body had been stolen is because he did not yet understand that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And this seems to be confirmed in verse 10, or at least supported. And what do the disciples do? They go home. After seeing the empty tomb, they, they go home. Compare that to the response of the two disciples who, whom Jesus met on the road to Emmaus. As Jesus meets these disciples and as he finally reveals himself to them, what do they do? They immediately get up and they run back to tell people. They run back to tell their friends this long journey, this seven-mile journey to Emmaus that they have just made in one direction. They immediately make in the other direction because now they believe. They've seen Jesus. They know that he is alive, and they cannot wait to tell the other disciples. It's not what happens here. And so it seems to me that, that maybe John doesn't mean that, uh, or that uh, John doesn't mean that he believed uh, that Jesus was alive, but rather he believed what Mary had said. He believed that the tomb was empty. And so again, put the pieces together. Upon seeing the empty tomb, it was easier for the first witnesses to believe that the grave robbers had carefully removed and folded Jesus' wrappings than it was for them to believe that he was risen from the dead. And even if you maintain the, the traditional reading that, that John somehow understood that, that Jesus was alive, clearly he did not fully understand. He didn't fully comprehend. At this point, even if you believe that he believes, his, his belief is, is more like bewilderment. We see then that these first witnesses were not simple-minded, gullible ancients. Rather, they were people just like us. People who know that dead people don't rise from the dead three days after being brutally executed by professional killers. And in just in case we missed it, 
John returns to to Mary's unbelief in verse 11. Look again at what he writes. Peter and John have have gone to their homes, but, but Mary remains and is now there at the empty tomb, weeping. Weeping, not only because her Savior has been killed, but but now his body has been stolen. And in fact, she is so distraught, she doesn't even recognize the angels that she sees sitting at the tomb. Look again at verse 12. We're told, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, have you taken away my Lord? And I do not, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She, she sees the, the angels, and she doesn't recognize them. In fact, she doesn't even recognize Jesus when she sees him. Look again at verse 15, or verse 14 first. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? The thought of the resurrection was so far from her mind, she doesn't recognize Jesus when she sees him. Instead, she thinks he must be the gardener. She thinks she may, he maybe is the one who has taken the body. She, she's hopeful that maybe it wasn't one of Jesus' enemies, but, but just the gardener had to move him for, for some reason. And so she asks, if you, if you know where his body is, tell me, and I'll take it off your hands. But of course, it's at this point that the story turns because in verse 16 Jesus says to her simply Mary Mary he he calls her by name and immediately recognition dawns maybe you had that experience yourself at, at one point or another. Maybe you, you've been in the, the house in the dark at, at night and you hear a noise and you don't know it, who it is and, and then suddenly they speak they speak even your name, and now you know, oh, it's just you. I'm safe. It's what Mary experiences here. Jesus says, Mary, and immediately she recognizes. Immediately she, she turns to him, and she, she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Suddenly, Mary knows. Suddenly, Mary believes not that the body has been stolen, but now she believes a new story. Again, probably not full comprehension. That will take years, if not decades, if not centuries for the church to fully begin to, to comprehend all that has taken place. There's still probably terrible confusion. Her, her brain is probably swirling, but she knows this. She knows that Jesus stands before her, and she knows that he is not dead, but alive. Her reaction then is, is entirely understandable. What are we told? She, she grabs him. She embraces him. She, she clings to him, seemingly overwhelmed with joy and bewilderment. Because now her Lord, who she thought was dead, who she knew was dead, she now sees alive. Of course, it's at this point that, that Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And there's a, there's a whole sermon in there that I don't have time to preach this morning. The, the importance of, of Jesus ascending to the Father's right hand, the importance of him entering into the throne room of God and receiving the kingdom of him, claiming the spoils of, of victory. But, but notice he says to them, Go to the disciples and tell them, that because I am alive, 
You are now with me, and my Father is your Father. My God is your God. And what I want you to simply see is that Mary didn't believe. She didn't understand. She, she, she didn't believe until she couldn't not believe. She didn't believe until she saw Jesus standing before her and heard him call her name. That's the point. Mary, as the, the first witness of the resurrected Lord, doesn't believe until she can't not believe. And, and we see exactly the same thing in the disciples beginning in verse 19. Look again at what we read there. The disciples are, are locked away in an upper room. Why? Well, John tells us, for fear of the Jews. They had, they had killed Jesus. It seems likely that they might come after his followers. They are afraid. They are afraid that they might suffer the, the same fate. But again, it's a, it's a clear expression of, of unbelief. They, they don't yet believe that Jesus is alive. But then what happens? Jesus comes and stands in their midst. And he says to them, peace be with you before commissioning them to go forth as, as witnesses to his resurrection and as ministers of his gospel, even to the ends of the earth. And again, there's a whole sermon there. If you, if you want to come back, I'll preach through John sometime, and we'll, we'll, we'll take these things up in greater detail. But, but again, just, just notice here, Jesus is commissioning them. He, he's, he's sending them out with his peace to, to bring peace to his neighbors. But, uh, but again, what I want you to notice this morning is that it is only at this point that they believe. It is only when they see Jesus in the flesh that their unbelief is overcome. It is only when they can't not believe because Jesus is standing right there in front of them that they understand that he has been raised from the dead. And we know this because of what happens next. We're, we're told in verse 24 that, that Thomas wasn't present when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And so naturally, what happens? The, the other disciples, they tell Thomas. They, they tell them what they've, what they've seen. They tell them that they've seen the Lord, that, that he is alive, that he is, he is risen. They don't understand it. They can't fully comprehend it. But they know that it is true because they have seen him with their own eyes. They, they go to Thomas and they say, we have seen the Lord. And we'll get to Thomas's story in a moment. But for now, again, notice that this is their new belief. They are now testifying to the reality that Jesus is alive because they have seen him. Because he has stood in their presence. And again, that's the point that we're emphasizing this morning. That's the point that I think John is, is emphasizing throughout this entire chapter. Belief wasn't easy for the first witnesses. It wasn't natural. They, they were not looking for reasons to believe. But on the contrary, unbelief was easy. Unbelief was Natural. It was, it was easy for them not to believe. It was, it was easier for them to believe that the body had been stolen by conscientious grave robbers who folded up the clothes than it was for them to believe that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. In fact, unbelief was so easy for them, they actually failed to see the evidence until it was overwhelming. They failed to believe until Jesus was literally standing before their face. And these are the witnesses who testify to the truth. These are the witnesses who tell the story. These are the witnesses who have told us the story. 
of Jesus' resurrection. Witnesses who, who were not uh, gullible, witnesses who were not easily deceived, but witnesses who were skeptical, witnesses who, who found it hard to believe, witnesses who found unbelief far easier. These are the witnesses who come to us now in the pages of Scripture and say, we have seen the Lord. And so if you are here this morning and you think it is impossible for a reasonable, rational, intelligent person to believe in the resurrection, I understand. I really do. It's, it's what the world tells you. But I hope that you can begin to see that it's actually exactly the other way around. A reasonable, rational, intelligent person is actually compelled to believe in the resurrection. To deny the resurrection is to disregard the evidence because you have decided beforehand that it can't be true. Because you have decided beforehand that people do not rise from the dead. And that is the very essence of irrationality. To decide beforehand, before looking at the evidence. To decide, well, those kind of things don't happen, so the story can't be right. That is not the rationality of which the world boasts. It is exactly the opposite. I wonder if you've ever been in a conversation with someone who was so sure of their position that they were willing to disregard a mountain of evidence to the contrary. I suspect that's happened. I suspect you've had that conversation. I know I have, and I, I think probably everyone here in the room has had that conversation at some point. Probably you've been that person at some point. You, you were so sure of your position that you were blind to the evidence. Well, I want you to hear me say this morning that the person who denies the resurrection is like that. The person who denies the resurrection is disregarding the evidence because they have already decided that it can't be true. And I make this point. I, I take the time to show you that John is making this point. That he is showing us that, that these were not gullible witnesses, but these were people who were skeptical until they couldn't be. These are the people who are telling the story. And that matters because as Christians, we must not be embarrassed of Easter Sunday. We must not be embarrassed as if our faith was some sort of blind leap in the dark, as if it were some sort of belief without evidence. That is not what Easter is about. It's not about believing fairy tales, which are obviously false, but we want them to be true. I once heard a televangelist say, you know, the gospel is so great, I'd believe it even if it wasn't true. There is no greater foolishness. These things are only good news because they are true. These things are only good news because Jesus did rise from the dead. And we know that he rose from the dead. We know that he came out of the tomb alive because we have been told by those who saw him with their own eyes. Our faith is based upon the testimony of those who were there upon the eyewitnesses who, who, who spoke with Jesus, who, who, who ate with Jesus, who even clung to him in their joy and bewilderment. And so if you are here this morning and you find these things hard to believe, I understand. That's good. It's good that you find these things hard to believe. But it's also good that you believe them. Because we have the testimony of those who were there, of those who saw him alive. But that being said, I also want you to hear me say that it's not enough that you simply believe in the resurrection. It's not enough that you simply believe that it happened. It's not enough that you simply believe that the tomb was empty. Look again at why John writes there in verses 30 and 31. He says, these things are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The goal is not simply that you believe that, that in some uh, freak phenomena he was alive again after being crucified. The goal is that you understand what his resurrection means. Just as Sam was saying to the kids, we, we need to understand the significance of what is going on here. We have seen that the, the first witnesses were not simple or, or gullible, and therefore we, we've seen that we have good reason to believe that, that Jesus is truly alive, that their testimony is, is truly trustworthy. But we must see more than this. We must see the significance of his resurrection, and that is what we see in this final account, the account of Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, and, and rightly so. Verse 25 tells us that when the other disciples told, them, uh, that, told him that they had seen Jesus alive, he said, unless I see, his hands, uh, see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into those marks and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's, he's rightly called Doubting Thomas. But this is just another example of what we've already seen. We could call all of the disciples doubting. We could call Mary doubting as she wept outside his tomb. But it is even more emphatic here because he is actually rejecting the testimony of those who had, who had seen him. And yet nevertheless, despite his persistent doubts, even against the testimony of, of the eyewitnesses, in his abounding grace, Jesus condescends to appear to Thomas. And when he does... Thomas is not only moved from unbelief to belief, he is moved to a profound confession of faith. Look again at verse 28. Upon seeing Jesus with his own eyes, Thomas answers, My Lord and my God. Thomas's confession is, is first a confession that the one who stands before him is his Lord. He confesses that this is the one with whom I have been for the last three years. This is my master. Here is Jesus, the, the person whom I know. Here is Jesus risen from the dead. But then he adds, and my God. And this is new. This is the move from belief to faith. From believing that the resurrection happened to understanding what it means. Thomas confesses that Jesus is God come in human flesh. Now, If you're a reader of the gospel, you've known this from the beginning. John 1, 1 told us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of, of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning of the gospel, we have known as the readers of the gospel that Jesus is God come in human flesh. But Thomas is the first one in the story to reach this conclusion and to make this confession. It is only upon seeing the risen Christ that, that Thomas finally understands. Here is my Lord and my God. It is the resurrection that moves him there. But, but why? Why does the resurrection move Thomas to make this profession of faith? Others had been called forth from the tomb by the power of God. Others had been raised during the ministries of, of Elijah and, uh, and Elisha, and even during the ministries of, uh, of Jesus himself. But Jesus had not been raised by another. 
Jesus had, had come forth of his own accord. He had laid down his life and he had taken it up again. He had not been called out of the grave the way Lazarus had been, but rather he came out of the grave on his own authority. And only God has such authority. And therefore it begins to, to click in Thomas's mind. He, he begins to understand that Jesus must be God in the flesh. And it's in that moment that all the pieces begin to fall together. Oh, this is the reason. This is the reason that he taught like no one else. This is the reason that he says, not the Lord says, but I say. This is the, the reason that he could command the storm, not in the name of the Lord, but on his own authority. This is the reason why he could command demons and they were subject to him and why we could even command demons in his name. This is the reason why he had the authority to forgive sins. And suddenly it all begins to make sense. Jesus is God. Jesus is the, the, the Son of God come in human flesh. He didn't simply send a prophet to teach us how to save ourselves how to reconcile ourselves to God, how to overcome the problem of our sin, but rather he came himself. Yahweh is here with us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to defeat sin and death on our behalf. He came to, to seal that victory with his own resurrection from the dead after being crucified. He came that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. He came so that the one who calls upon him will not perish and will never be put to shame. You see, Thomas sees who Jesus is. He sees Jesus standing before him, and it all begins to make sense. Here is Emmanuel. Here is Yahweh come in the flesh. Here is our God to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Here is the God who has defeated sin and death who has disarmed our enemies and has opened the way for us to come back to God. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what Easter is all about. You see, in our modern age, it's hard for us to believe. But Jesus rose from the dead. But I hope you see that, that it was hard for first century people to, to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. It's why John goes to such lengths to show us that the, that the first witnesses only believed when they could not not believe anymore. They only believed when the, when the evidence was incontrovertible. They only believed when Jesus was standing there before them. And that is why we can take their testimony as true. Because they are people just like us. And they testify to these things because they have seen him with their own eyes. But it's not enough simply to believe that Jesus is alive. We have to understand that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. We have to understand that Jesus died and rose again for us according to the scriptures. That our sins might be cleansed that our guilt might be washed away, and that we might be made alive together with him both now and for all eternity. And it's because we have this living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for his resurrection from the dead. And we thank you for the living hope that is now ours in his name. 
Father God, may we live as people of hope in his name, to the praise of his glory, both now and forevermore. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.